Welcome to the Wellness Champions Network podcast. I'm host Sarah McGuinness. The Wellness Champions Network is a group of leaders from around the globe who are passionate about well-being. In the network, we learn, share and connect with colleagues and well-being experts alike. We believe that by working together, we can build a happier, healthier world where everyone has the opportunity to thrive. In this session, we're joined by guest Jared Vaughan from the Mental Health Foundation and Project Farm Strong to discuss men's mental health. Businesses can play an important role in supporting men in mental health. They can reduce stigma, open the conversation and share positive role models. In this discussion, we discuss the role that organisations can play in more depth, plus look at some of the challenges and myths, and Jared shares some of his tips for engaging with men to improve mental well-being. So I was keen to kick off and understand uh, your background, a little bit more about you know, what you're doing right now and about the FarmStrong project too. Actually, my interest is uh, taking social issues, health and well-being issues, to where people are living their lives, and, uh, and particularly in that sort of promotion, prevention space. Um, and I think as human beings, often we'll, we wait for a long time to, uh, <laughs> to seek help for something and and often you know something's got so challenging and so difficult that actually it's not not the best space for us to um you know to to help ourselves so my uh whole career really is now focusing on how do we take the science of well-being you know to to busy people and help develop some of those habits that are really protective of uh, and help you get through sort of some of those challenging times so actually that's the the key idea behind farmstrong so I started working on the idea in 2013. I work independently. I've done that for the last eight years and really love forming partnerships between organisations who can who have channels and actually care about a community you know, that, that they have an interest in. Um, and we, uh, with the work I do with the Mental Health Foundation, we got Movember Foundation interested in, in particularly around rural men's um, health and wellbeing. And then we formed some partnerships with uh, an insurance company, Farmers Mutual Group, who uh, insure over half of the rural sector. And then we started designing collectively as a group, you know, what this uh, initiative would look like and launched it in 2015. So it's been going five years and ACC came on board um, a year after we launched and they've just signed up for another five years of uh, supporting, supporting the project. So... And we've designed it as a good for business project. So we don't, we don't call it a health program. We don't call it a mental health promotion program. We don't actually use a lot of that sort of health type language. When we went out and spoke with farmers and did our foundation research in 2014, we asked them some pretty big questions around, you know, what are the big challenges to your wellbeing? Um, what, if we were to design a, an initiative, you know, to help you, what's your advice to us around how you would do that? And there was some key insights that we got that really shaped, you know, the way that we designed the program. And probably one of the main one was that uh, there is a bit of a gender difference between that we found between men and women in, in farming. That uh, a lot of women were saying, look, we look for information about health, but we're really open to it. We're interested in it. Uh, the men were saying, actually, I don't look for information about health. I look for information about how to be a better farmer. And so that for us, that was a huge insight into, you know, how we would shape the program, that we would take the science of well-being. It's often tied up on health-based websites. There's lots of good stuff out there. 
and we just wanted to take that to where farmers were looking for information about how to be a better farmer. And, uh, and that's really how we've designed FarmStrong. So even the language, the brand that we landed on was a, you know, a strengths-based program that's farming related. And we wanted the science to sit as strongly, you know, to run a sustainable business alongside the focusing on your land, stock and machinery. Uh, you also need to focus on yourself and the people who work in the business, you know, around your health and well-being if you want to run a sustainable business. And, uh, and farmers agreed. They focused a lot of their time on land, stock and machinery, but they didn't, they weren't very good at putting systems in place for themselves or the people who work in the business. So that, that's conceptually was the key idea. And that's still the driving idea behind FarmStrong. And we've just been learning over the last five years about how to get better at, at uh, taking that to farmers. What have been some of the key components in the program? So we did ask farmers around where they go for information. So some of the key components were really we designed around that. So farmers do get together, you know, face to face to learn more about farming in discussion groups. They go to agricultural events and they talk a lot about land, stock and machinery. So that was a big insight. We went to where they are going for farming information. And, uh, and they also have a lot of associations. There's heaps of organisations in farming, actually. You know, um, Beef and Lamb, Dairy NZ. Um, so we've also, and they get together, you know, as part of their membership and associations, grower organisations, you know, beekeeper organisations. So we turn up to their conferences. But the other thing is that farmers also are going online for, they were looking for information. So we did set up a website particularly the younger farmers, they are engaging with social media. The other big insight, um, you know, that we got from our foundation research is because we asked farmers, well, who do you listen to? You know, who do you take notice of? And, uh, and they said, well, we do listen to our wives, you know, but actually, why would you do something differently? You know, and they basically, it came down to that. And then the farming practice, they'd, they'd watch what other farmers were doing, like their next door neighbour or, um, you know, someone that they noticed was doing and doing sort of well. So that was quite a, a big insight around telling stories that were farmers actually sharing what they do to keep themselves well and sustainable in farming business. So we also asked them around where, you know, what is, what's the media that you engage with? And there's a Farmers Weekly, which is um, every week, a 80,000 print version gets delivered, which not farm driveways. That's, and it's well read. It's actually, it's a lot of, it's a lot of farming stats and information around business. So we um, regularly formed a partnership with them and we had regular editorial, which is farmer stories. I think that was, again, you know, a key strategy that we, when we went and talked with farmers, a lot of farmers were doing really good stuff to look after themselves. They just didn't talk about it because, they, and even some of them said, I don't talk about it because my next door, if, I, if I'm saying, look, I'm planning like a two week holiday and going away, my next door neighbor may not think I'm a very good farmer because the culture is so work related and hard out around uh, working. So we really lifted the lid on that and found early adopter farmers who were quite happy to start talking about what they do and the benefits of it around this makes me a better farmer because I'm uh, looking after myself better and I'm having my breaks and I'm coming back, I'm staying fresh. And uh, so we've really become a facilitator of a farmer to farmer conversation around uh, you know, the science of well-being for performance, you know, to how to run a better business. And then increasingly with the sharing the benefits of that for 
that it's protective of some of the more common mental health problems. And also, as we've done with some of our research, that it's protective of, uh, of injury and accident as well. So it's incredibly comprehensive and I can see there's quite a bit to unpick in terms of, you know, the strategies you've used to engage men. I wanted to pick up on one of them, the storytelling and the role models, which is, you know, we might naturally think of role models as people who, you know, are the ones in the spotlight, but it sounds like actually the person next door can be a really strong role model if they're supporting others to make changes. No, totally. I think with, and again, I think, you know, we all live in different we have many cultures you know our workplaces are like many cultures really of that are people like us and a big part of our identity is tied up with you know our workplace identity we have lots of other identities as well around you know our families and our culture and um, you know countries that we're born in but for some groups and farming is, is probably an example where the identity of being a farmer is a very strong part of the male identity so the, the people that they're most, that they'll listen to the most is actually people like them, you know, like other farmers and people who understand farming. That's a significant barrier that we've overcome, you know, around taking, you know, good science-based information, but actually using farmer stories of re the real practical things that they're doing. Because if it's not practical, you know, farmer's too busy. And actually this would be true with other sector groups you know, as well. Um, but actually for people who are, you know, leading very busy lives, the information has to be practically applied to what they're doing each day or else. And, and farmers said that to us, you know, they said, you've probably got a minute of my time to capture my interest. And uh, if you can't sell this to me in a minute, then I'm fine about that because you've only wasted a minute of my time. <laughs> so again, you know, our big challenge is how do you take when people are leading, you know, very, very busy lives, which we all do. Uh, and again, the big insight is that, you know, what's the benefit you know, for, the, for what I'm trying to achieve in my day? What is, what is the benefit of actually uh, um, better understanding, you know, the science of well-being and, uh, and mental health? Yeah. And I imagine in that early conversation, you had to overcome some myths and some stereotypes around men and mental health and well-being. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, actually, I think, you know, the biggest one I would really challenge is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, men don't want to talk about this stuff. Actually, men do. It's just we, it's about finding the way that men are comfortable to talk about it. And we, you know, we have found some ways. So I'm actually blown away. I turn up for heaps of agricultural events and within a couple of minutes, you know, a farmer will openly share a whole lot of stuff to me. I've never met before that, uh, you know, it just blows me away. But what we've, I think what we've successfully done is we've created this as an initiative that it's one that a farmer would engage with. So it's, it's, and we're meeting them, we're meeting farmers where they go to, so they're comfortable. We're sort of understanding their world, like a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with. So I think that's, uh, so I think that's probably my, my biggest myth is that you know, people say men don't want to talk about what's going on. For them. They do. It's just a matter of, of finding finding a way, um, a way that works for them uh, to talk about that. I think, I think the other myth that we really need to challenge is that, that all men are aspiring to a particular male identity. And I think that is, you know, that's significantly changing, thank, you know, thankfully. Um, and, and some of that is generational. Um, you know, I'd say the identity that my dad grew up with was a more traditional 
male identity of um, you know being a provider for your family, staunching things out, you know, showing weakness is <laughs> is not the male thing. Like your your you know your staunchness of a male is how much can you suck up and not let anyone know that you're really struggling. Um, and actually, that, that I mean that's an identity that I grew up with as well. You know, thankfully, that that identity is shifting and changing. But I, I think there is still so I think you know the different male audiences that you're working with. I think it's really quite good to get a handle on what is, you know, some of the where, where is that community of men at uh, in farming? We're still there's an age demographic that still is a little bit hardwired, you know, that way. And so definitely some of our approaches have worked within that. But you know, a lot of the um, and so we need to work a bit harder to you know engage. Um, you know, some of that, that audience around learning some of the habits and skills and investing and prioritising, you know, time for themselves. I'm finding with the younger male audience, it, it's not a hard sell. Like, they're really, really interested and <laughs> wanting to learn and talk quite openly, uh, you know, about this. And they're really seeing their future as a, bit, as a bit different in terms of the way they want to live their lives and the opportunity. Wonderful. And I'm thinking back to what you were saying about linking it really strongly to farming and to the business and to seeing it as a performance measure. And is that what you're using to engage that older workforce is really embedding it in that, that framework? Yes. Yeah. Um, we are around and particularly that because uh, actually the population, there is a large skew of the, of the working population. Like there's 50,000 farm owners and the, the skew of that is largely your 50 plus audience. Um, there's a younger cohort of people coming through agriculture that are, you know, maybe they're not aspiring to farm, farm ownership in the same way. But so that, and we tend, we started with that audience, but we're really segmenting, you know, who we're talking to and thinking of different touch points, you know, for the different audiences. But with that, with that older audience around seeing themselves as the most important asset on the farm, has definitely been, you know, the selling point because it, because that is really what they focus on every day is how to run a successful, you know, sustainable farming business. And, and actually their identity is tied up very strongly with that. And that, that's actually, a, it's a very vulnerable place to put yourself in actually when you've, in, particularly in, you know, complex, volatile business, <laughs> that actually the success of that business is that your identity of who you are is tied up with that. It, it makes you incredibly vulnerable. So we, we're talking, you know, to some of these older farmers about the strength of that and that that's not a weakness, you know, to actually feel those vulnerabilities and, and the best and a strong approach and a resilient approach is actually to have trusted people around you that you can talk openly about how you're coping with those the, the old model was don't tell anyone <laughs> that you're, you know that you're maybe struggling with those things and hide it and then when we're hiding things and we're struggling with those we don't want anyone to see so we start withdrawing you know from we stop going to things we stop because we're scared that people will notice you know that we're not and we're saying actually from a from a strengths point of view that is the worst strategy the modern strategy in, the, in a complex world of being resilient is actually it's a connected strategy. It's not a isolate yourself and staunch it out individually. It's actually connect with, have a network of advisors that you can also share. You can help other people, you know, by sharing, but you'll also 
benefit from that, you know, from um, having people that you really trust that you can say what's going on for you. And that's a, from, the, from a science point of view, it's a really good stress management, it's a really good pressure strategy, um, it's a really good mindset strategy around growth, you know, learning, seeing difficult times as a learning opportunity. And that a stress response, actually, which is a human stress response, is under stress, if you, that, that you, it's an opportunity to reach out and seek advice or, or get help or have more open conversations that will benefit you and the other person. And so that, so we're actually, um, I think once we've got that door and we've developed, you know, a credible brand that's about farming, is about, understands the business, has, you know, early adopter farmers who've engaged and shared their story. So we've, we're sort of out of the blocks on that. And now the openness of uh, even, you know, some of that audience who were, who, you know, we, we knew we were going to be pretty tough to engage with. I'm just blown away with the, the depth of conversation, you know, um, that we're having and the openness and the, the receptiveness, um, you know, that we've got. Because even those that older, they still want to talk about these things, but they want to do it in a way that's uh, consistent with their identity and that someone like them would actually would talk about it. So, uh, yeah. Fascinating. There's two things I wanted to pick up on. And um, one was the identity piece and the other was the risk piece. Because I'm thinking mm. as you're talking about that connected relationships, I imagine one of the risk areas is if men are not feeling connected to someone, that they feel like they can have that trusting conversation. Would that be true? Um, yeah, it's sort of actually, it's interesting. I've, I've had to, so there is, I think, I think when we're struggling with things under a lot of pressure, there is complex, everyone's situation is there's complexities in that. And so having a, a trusted person who's in there, cares about you and is in for the long haul, is there for you, can, can be helpful because you sometimes you, you're using a, a rolling out series of conversations to even help yourself understand what are the complexities and what are the, the solutions and the opportunities for me in there. Uh, but interesting, I think there's still, when if we if we're not well connected and we're we're getting into some of that risky territory, it's incredible what strangers how helpful a stranger can be just offloading someone who's 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 sensing that actually it's good for me to just listen to you. I don't know you, and we probably we may not even talk again, you know. And actually, so I think there's a bit of both, um, but I do think in the in the long term having growing a network of people that are part of your team and you're part of their team and that you're um, talking openly about, you know, the real challenges that you're having and the stresses and pressures and that you've developed, you know, that you're all developing good listening skills. You're not trying to solve everyone else's problems, but you actually realise it's just good to have someone to listen to. That um, that you're always there for them, that, you know, you're prioritising um, if, if they need to talk to you. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a bit of both. I think in, in the workplace, and again, I mean, workplaces are amazing adult learning situations, and also they're incredibly collegial situations where people will often put, you know, they'll, be, they'll, they'll do things that they wouldn't normally do, but they will do just in a work situation of, if the boss says, are we all doing this today or we're going to have this session or we're going to have someone who's going to come and talk about this or today I want us to have a conversation about these things. We're really, um, I mean, we're amazing, amazingly compliant, I think, sometimes in work, 
places that we'll do if uh, you know if we trust the culture and uh, and if we trust our leaders in there and if we trust our, our colleagues so i do think for there's huge opportunities for personal growth and development and mental health promotion in workplace settings that we can just integrate in as part of the um, the business as usual alongside the you know the technical skills that we learn but you know some of these uh, the science of well-being skills that are both you know good for business but they're also really good for our mental health and I mean if you really simplify I mean, I think there's a, a huge alignment um, between what workplaces are trying to achieve from a commercial and social point of view and actually what people who care about mental health and well-being are trying to achieve so if you really look at the the alignment between that first workplaces want the people that work for them to achieve their full potential you know they want them to be in a state where they're turning up for work and growing as people and feeling that they're actually um, getting better, you know, they're getting better skills and they're um, being more creative and, and things like that. That's really important for your mental health and well-being, you know, to achieve your full potential. Um, I mean, workplaces want people with skills to cope with pressure and stress and ups and downs and when things are uncertain and um, things are not going according to plan and to be able to problem solve. Again, developing skills to cope with those things is core mental health and well-being skills like that's what those are the solutions actually when people are struggling is actually often seeing that an opportunity to learn some skills to cope you know with stress and pressure or when things are uncertain um, and then I mean, workplaces wanting people to be productive you know people who report high levels of productivity report high levels of well-being you know when we feel like we're being productive and successful at what we're doing um, and then the final thing is, you know, workplaces want people to contribute. They want to feel like they're making a contribute to the community of interest, to their families, you know, to their country. And again, as human beings, feeling like you're making it is, is, is really important for your well-being. And, uh, and it's not surprising that if you look at a, the definition of, you know, what is mental health, those four components is what the World Health Organization's come up as the, the state when you are reporting, you know, high levels of, um, uh, you know, reaching your potential, um, that you're productive, that you're coping well with, you know, just the normal stresses and pressures of life and that you're making a contribution. So, uh, so yeah, I do see workplaces as uh, a friend of mine when I was talking, you know, about it, he, he really sees it's, it's the third health, health service that often isn't spoken about. You know, we have our hospitals and our primary health services but actually in terms of the health benefits of um you know being part of a uh, resilient workplace um is just is, is massive yeah mm -hmm. i think you pick up on an important point there thinking about the i've just written down that productive and, and that contribution because uh, thinking here with COVID 19 you know there are going to be men who are out of work you know, or um, family situations change and there's more pressure on them and perhaps they're not able to feel like they are achieving those things. Thinking about those risk areas and, and, and other risk areas, you know, what, what do you see some of the, the critical things that workplaces need to be thinking about? Uh, actually, I agree with you. I think that is going to be, those are high risk. I mean, they are for, 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 for women as well. Um, but I think yeah, men probably have still put a lot into their into their work identity around being productive, earning money, and also, 
you're meeting some of those other human needs around uh, their self-value and self-worth. And so I do agree with you that there will be big challenges if um, people first are losing their jobs. So I think the supports that are available to people, because not only are they losing some of those things, you know, they are actually losing their, can lose their network of colleagues, you know, and people that they, uh, you know, their team, if their lives are such that they're not having some of those met, those needs met in other ways, um, that is that is high risk territory. But also, you know, it could be people in your workplace that are just dealing with the stress and of uncertainty, you know, in terms of this, seeing what's happening to other people and is this going to happen? Is this going to happen to me? Um, I mean, I do think on the, I think that, so there is some real risks and challenges. And I think what we as a country and what workplaces can do for the people you care about and, uh, you know, some of those supports, you know, that you do have in your workplace um, that are available. But I think on the, on the positive side there, and we've seen that already with, you know, the essential services and even when we were starting this, uh, you know, you're having a conversation around that, uh, you know, I think it was foodstuffs around, uh, you know, just how people were feeling. There's an, and that came through definitely with farming, who get beaten up a lot actually, you know, from feeling that they're not um, really well understood, you know, by people who live in the cities and that, uh, that they do care for the environment or they do care for their, their stock, um, but are being sort of unfairly judged. Um, really found actually that the being an essential service and actually feeding the country and also just economically, you know, our exports are really what are helping us get through. There was a huge shift in morale and reported levels of you know mental health and well-being. So I think I think we do need to you know be balanced around the challenges that are in front of us and actually not just be thinking that this is all this is all going to be difficult and I mean interestingly if you listen to some of the you know researchers around stress and pressure you know they would say actually the biggest indicator of how you experience stress and pressure is how you think about it so I think our mindset going into some of these things is also really important because they can be opportunities to um, reorganize your life and 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 live it a bit differently but I'm still not uh, wanting to minimize the uh, the challenges for people who will be you know, losing their jobs and economically affected and the importance of having supports for them. And I'm thinking this, it sounds like there's almost two parts to, to the mental health. And, and I think this is a continuum anyway of acute support we can put in place for people when they're in those stages of needing something um, yeah, more intense and some preventative work. And, and does that identity piece fall into that preventative work, do you think? Oh, I think it does. There's other things. There's other things as well, you know, around the science. But I, I do think identity. I mean, identity is really important, and I think particularly for men when we're going through difficult transitions and change. That uh, and some of that's around even developing new positive identities around becoming a father. That you know, there's a lot of stresses and pressures around <laughs> so for something that's new that you, you you know no one's taught you how to be a good dad. And, uh, you know, just all the responsibility related to that. But I think around those changes that actually impact on your identity, you know, if you've had a business and then you've lost it and you've been, or you've been made redundant, um, you, you're retiring. I think around that, you know, that transition from being a teenager, you know, to a young adult and uh, assuming responsibilities. Actually, a, a big risk territory for men is around um, breakup of important relationships. You know, that's, that is a risk 
territory. If we built a lot of our identity and emotional security around, uh, you know, an intimate relationship with someone, and that finishes, you know, that can be um, be high risk territory. So those, so I do think, and I think also cultural identity, particularly if you, um, you know, from indigenous cultures where they, there's been negative value around their identity and their language hasn't been valued, they've been dispossessed of, um, and there's sort of unconscious bias or racism, those things actually do do impact on uh, on, your, on your mental health health and well-being alongside, uh, alongside other things. So your things that to actually grow grow your identity and value that uh, and supports available to help you do that are, are really, really important, yeah. Mm, I'm picking up on that and thinking that would be kind of interesting to have um, programs or things around those important milestones in life and thinking about some of those as support programs potentially or initiatives or more communication around that. Even, I imagine, transition to retirement must be another risk area. Uh, again, I mean, I, I think this is changing. You know, I think there's a generation of younger men that are coming through that aren't putting all the eggs in one basket around the, uh, I'm going to be a productive male that's going to make a lot of money and have high status associated with it. Those things are, you know, I'm not saying those things aren't important and they're good to aspire to, but I, I, I think women are better at um, developing multiple identities that give them value you know, around relationships, around, you know, being a parent, you know, uh, around important friendships. Um, and, I, and I think there is, for, I, I think the men that are, get into more risky territory is if they put too much at stake in one type of identity and that doesn't work out or that changes. And particularly, I think, when it changes uh, in a way that they haven't had control over, you know, that can be really... Um, can be very difficult. So this, the antidote to that is actually to develop, is to to reach your potential is actually growing other identities, like learning to be a good dad, learning to be a good mate, you know, learning to be a good son, you know, to your parents, um, learning to be, you know, sort of a connected person in your community that, uh, that gives back uh, to your community. And those are all, if you look at the science of well-being, those are all really good habits and things to integrate into your life that are that do actually improve your well-being and i can imagine that there's some language that you've used in talking about this this with farmers early on that's been helpful what are some of those those words perhaps or phrases yeah and no, i sort of i think it's it's interesting so we've um we don't use health traditional health language um and actually just and also looking for being alert for concepts or ideas that that, uh, that this, the group that you're talking to, they're already familiar with, and that you can actually craft in, you know, your idea. So I think, you know, again, because sometimes you do need to challenge some of the stereotypes that people have, might have about, about their wellbeing or mental health, you know, using other, we, we talk about coping, you know, with ups and downs and, you know, stuff like that. But you know, there is a, the, the medical model has developed sort of an illness wellness paradigm that, uh, and when it gets played out around mental health, it can be done in quite a problematic way because it, it looks at it, if you, get, if you think you're either well or ill, so you've either got depression or you haven't got depression or you're, you're either got anxiety or haven't got anxiety or you're, you're an alcoholic or you're, you're not, there's stigma associated with the, 
the illness side of it and no one wants to identify with that the reality is that we live on a on a on a fluctuating spectrum <laughs> you know over a lifetime you know we'd where we our well-being is moving you know up and down and whatever you call it whether you call it burnout or depression or you know just teenagers call it life sucks actually a lot of the things that are going on for us are very similar you know we're not sleeping well um we're probably getting grumpy and you know pissed off angry a lot of the time maybe you know we're um sleeping more than what we usually are or we're not you know not sleeping at all our diet's changing we're not wanting to you know sort of socialize and stay around with friends and actually those i think to be looking for ideas that people can understand a different way of thinking about this so we use an idea of a um, couple of ideas that work well you know in farming but talking about this um, you know, a bit like a well-being bank account, you know, that you, you, that you, if you make small investments in a bank account, you can build up your well-being so you've got something to draw on during difficult times. And actually when you're um, starting to get into that real difficult territory is when you haven't been making small, regular investments or deposits into your well-being bank account, you, you've got nothing to draw on and you're dealing with what life's throwing at you. So again, that idea of, you know, your well-being a bit like a, a bank account that you get the compounding interest benefit of small well-being habits that then you've got stuff to draw on and it goes down really well um, and it's and it's it's a you know it's a different framework than sort of working with this medicalized illness wellness and then and then I think the other probably for the older generation there's still a little bit of that residual moral judgment of um, you know if you're not coping well you're you're weak <laughs> and you're um, and you should feel ashamed you know dealing with some of that internalized shame so again you know working on um, you know different different models that can uh, can change that from a from moral judgment really to look at a uh, it's about performance identifying your weakness and actually having strategies and your weaknesses having strategies in place to deal with those means you can actually put yourself under more pressure because you've actually got strategies to cope better and you'll be more productive and you know it'll be more beneficial so it's actually having a blind spot for what your weaknesses are and being in denial about those is not a good performance strategy so again it's sort of trying to shift some and we use a lot of um for the particular audience that we work with they're pretty competitive they love sport you know they like rugby so we use um you know a lot of analogies from sport to so the language of sport so I, got, I show a little, you know, in some of the educational work that we do. So we turn up and do, you know, sort of educational sessions that are adult learning skill based. You know, I've got a little clip of, um, if you don't follow rugby, you know, Damien McKenzie, who's a, you know, awesome rugby player, who's the kicker, you know. And so in front of a full stadium and, you know, you've got five minutes to go in the game and you've got to get the kick over to win the game. If you're ever going to have an anxiety attack, that's the time you're going to do it. You know, that's hugely stressful yet he's developed and practiced some routines and you show him doing those so it's about breathing you know it's around smiling so he actually physically puts himself in a relaxed state by just being by actually physically smiling it's a really good neuroscience technique and uh, and he visualizes you know he's got learned that strategy and actually those are things that we can learn we you know some of how you learn how to share a sheep and milk a cow um, we can learn practice and actually when we're in high pressure situations 
those are very quick habits you know that we can fall back on that can um that can be really helpful in, around uh managing this. so again that's just examples of the types of concepts or language that we use to share some of the science um which does sit on really good health websites using health language but um you know a lot of farmers you know, said, well, I wouldn't go and Google, you know, depression.org to go. And, and some of them said, look, if I do get into that situation, I'll go looking for it then. You sort of think, well, you know, maybe there's some habits that you could develop before then that might prevent you getting in there. But actually, I'm not saying that those aren't really needed, you know, for when people are experiencing depression to have places they go to. So those things, but alongside that, you know, for population groups, um, I think we need to be promoting some of the science before, you know, we get into these really difficult places where often that's the most difficult time for us to develop and learn new habits, you know, to help us get us through. Mm, and I'm thinking as you're talking about, um, you know, those strategies sound so invaluable for um, for men and for, for people in general, actually, to engage in, in health and wellbeing and get away from that medical view. I wonder, I was, we were talking about this when we had a pre-conversation was, you know, sometimes we run focus groups around wellbeing and you ask, you know, sometimes it's, there's a lot of men in the group and you say, oh, you know, what are your perspectives of wellbeing? And they kind of go, this is to talk about hugs. I'm not interested. Oh, yeah. so, so how do you break the ice oh, look, when that's the view? Yeah, no, actually you go, you go straight to the practical stuff, like how, how you're sleeping, you know, um, what, what are your energy levels like? You know, just physically, what are some of the aches and pains you're dealing with? So it's it's those things. Are you getting time away to relax and recover? I think males, we like things to be really concrete and practical. The insight we got from farmers was our vehicles for the, the science is around the topics that they said they were interested in. So sleep was massive. And actually, sleep is a really good one because it's, um, I mean, a lot of us do, you know, at different times struggle with sleep. And actually, there are reasons for that. And it, it is, a, and, it, and particularly if those reasons are around worry, the things that you're worrying about, and then, it, then you can start to have a whole conversation around your thinking strategies. And actually, there's things, strategies that you can learn. And there's also other, you know, sort of sleep routines. So again, um, that's, so I, would, I wouldn't use the term even well-being. I would go straight over here. We're going to talk about what are the, for you, you know, what helps you perform well what are the biggest challenges to your performance um and then just sort of sometimes you need to sort of tease that out a wee bit because they're quite happy to everyone people sit around and talk about their sleep but don't i think to expect males to talk, sit and talk about how they're feeling is i think that's more challenging you know because i think we are quite action focused and and i think also you know if we are wanting males to have an opportunity to talk, you know, a bit more about that feeling stuff. You know, the way we do it is we tend to do it shoulder to shoulder. You know, we're doing something together. We're out actually doing a job, we're digging a ditch. We may be driving somewhere to go and do a fun activity, sitting in a car where we might talk about these things. Um, so I do think, you know, some of these focus groups that are um, sitting around where everyone's eyeballing each other, it's, pro it's probably not the preferred way that, you know, as groups of men that we actually share things that uh, you know more personal but maybe create some level of discomfort we want to be we want to balance that and be in situations that we really 
comfortable with, you know, or going out, you know, sort of trout fishing with a good mate and chatting away about stuff or going for a cycle or a walk or a, or a run. Um, and I can see the benefit in uh, concepts like the men's shed where they're doing something and there's that conversation going and they don't have to eyeball perhaps, but they're, they're able to feel like they're in a safe space. Yeah, I think it should, I do think the other thing is, I mean, sometimes the vehicle for um, getting across some information or that can be, it may not appear that's actually what's happening, you know, that, um, you know, people might actually be having a, having a good laugh and, stuff like that but there may there's also opportunities to share some good sort of practical um stuff and uh, and i think also the, the other big and i think particularly when you're doing it with groups and i noticed that you did sort of lean back and fold your arms you know i've done talks to like a group of like 150 army guys all suddenly <laughs> all sitting there like this you know and i'm i'm thinking oh geez what, what the hell this is you know just deadpan you know i think blokes we'd sometimes our body language doesn't often communicate how we're taking something on board, you know? And I've just, I've just been blown away by, you know, guys that have then come up to me afterwards and said, oh, that was great, mate. And, you know, they'd sit there the whole time, I thought, well, she, at least she could have smiled or something like that or given me a nod or, but the whole time I just sit there going, just taking it all in. So I think, you know, don't often be put off that, uh, and, and I think the other thing is, particularly if you are concerned, you know, about someone and want to have a, the opportunity to say, look, I'm here to have a conversation if you, you, you ever wanted to. Um, and that you, you may feel that you haven't got anywhere in that conversation or you haven't, you haven't personally got the feedback that this has worked for them. You know, I think just be confident that if you've asked open questions, you've been a good listener and that, the, that, you know, that they know that if they wanted to come back and talk to you again, that there may be some questions that you've asked that um, go away and think that we'll be thinking about it, you know, as blokes. And we may not actually have even been given you the feedback to say, oh, this was really, you know, this was really good. And it was interesting. I, I know when I was doing the, like, Minds Project years ago around looking at what supportive behaviour, you know, when someone's struggling. And there was a bit of a gender difference. And it was interesting. A lot of women said that when they knew their friend was struggling, and they wanted to, you know, help them. Um, it was actually really good feedback if their friend cried. Because <laughs> it felt like they, they knew it was good to cry, you know, and they felt like they'd be, they'd be better, you know, after a conversation. Well, thank God they cried, you know, I, they cried with me. They'll be feeling better because we always feel better after a good cry. Um, I mean, you probably won't, you know, I think more blokes are, you know, feeling comfortable with doing that. But the chances are that, that's a difficult thing, you know, for a, for a male to do, you know, with someone else. So sometimes we don't often get, if we're helping someone, we don't often feel like we've done a good job. And I think be confident that if you're, um, you know, you're doing those good practices, being a good listener, you're there for them. You've asked some questions, um, and that you've also said that you know that you're that you're there for them, and uh, that those things will be, you know, you, they will be really helpful, even if you don't get the uh, the immediate feedback. I imagine that is one of the challenging things, isn't it? We always want that kind of that reciprocity or that feedback straight away that we're having an impact if we're trying to be a support person. There's that desire to want to help and I guess get the feedback that we are helping. Um, so, I mean, you've given some fantastic tips there, but I guess broadly, are there any other tips you would give to this group, either as uh, in their workplace roles, but also as family members, as friends, in terms of supporting men 
perhaps if we say it specifically, um, but often these things obviously apply across the genders, but um, are there particular tips that you would have around supporting men and mental health? Uh, I think for, I first, actually I do think to actually practice some of these, get these habits in place and look after yourself. So I think that's, and to see that that's a, uh, that these things work, you know, so I think the, the best way we can sell, you know, some of the, the science of well-being is to actually be good role models for it ourselves. So, you know, if in a workplace, if you're, um, you know, the best thing, you know, and I've worked at workplaces that have, you know, the, the, the reward system has been quite perverse, that, you know, staying there for long hours has seemed like, well, that's a good, you know, productive worker. Whereas actually if you're in a workplace, it's actually where you, your leaders are actually role modeling that we want people to be productive, but actually part of being productive is also having recovery time and working reasonable hours and having refreshed. So I think role modeling, you know, these, these things, because we learn, you know, by what we see other people do, not necessarily what they, you know, what they say. The other thing, if, um, you know, if you are involved in someone who is doing it tough, and, you know, I've been there in that situation. At times, I think you really need to look after yourself. So if you're, if you decided to be, you know, a close support, you know, for someone, you, you really do need to look after yourself. That's the most important thing. You're no good to anyone. If you're, if you're getting drawn into, you know, the, the, uh, the difficulties that they're having. And I think also, you know, sometimes you just got to strap your seatbelt on and go through those rocky times alongside someone else and believe that the two of you you'll get through it together you know with your support um, that you will get you will get through this and if you look at again you know people who've been through really difficult times and they've through got through it and recovered and they're reflecting back on there's some really interesting research that's been done on that what really made the difference you know what was the most helpful thing you know that get them through was there one thing that and the the across you know all those recovery stories was a person who gave them light and hope when they couldn't see it themselves and and often it wasn't it wasn't necessarily someone working in a professional role associated with that person it was some you know just someone from their either their work network or their family network or their friendship network so again i think um yeah i think there's that we can make a difference uh and, and help people. I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. It, it does. And I was reflecting on our earlier conversation. I was sharing that story with you that someone had shared with me um, that they had had a son who um, was struggling with depression and had got to the point where he wasn't leaving his room and wasn't interacting with others. And it was actually a, a family friend who ran a, a building company who came yes. and yep. was keen to be a, a mentor um, for that man. And it, it and he was able to you know come out and re-engage and, and had something to invest in. And we talked about at the time of that mentorship. So I imagine that's that's part of that connective piece, isn't it? Making sure that people feel connected into their communities and have that support. With, with men, we do want to help other men. And we, we've done some research around that, but we're not very good at actually being open for other men that want to help us. <laughs> so, so, just, so there's, I mean, if you look at it from a resource scarcity and availability, there's this amazing resource of men that actually want to help other men. But, and then there's this population of men that actually are struggling to receive that help. 
So I do think that is something we do need, you know, sort of need to get over that it's actually a, uh, it's a good thing, you know, for us to, to help other people and also to give people the opportunity to, uh, to help us because it's actually good for them as well. Because the, be the best way we learn about these things is uh, helping, helping someone else. again for listening today it's been great to have you along if you're keen to join the wellness champions network head along to myhealthrevolution.co.nz and follow the links to subscribe if you're in the network thanks again and we look forward to catching up with you really soon